Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Here at The Guardian, we love podcasts. Not only do we make dozens of award winners ourselves, but we also write about our favourite podcasts from around the world too. Every week, our column Hear, Hear, that's here as in hearing and here as in where, comes out filled with recommendations from you, our listeners. We sift through them all to find the hidden gems that the podcasting world has to offer. These podcasts are often small yet mighty productions, which you probably wouldn't find highlighted on your usual podcatchers. So, if you're looking for your next podcast or have one that you want to share with the world, sign up for our weekly Hear Hear newsletter at theguardian.com forward slash podmail and send us an email at podcasts at theguardian.com. The Guardian. Hello and welcome to Brexit Means, The Guardian's weekly dive into the ever murkier waters of Brexit. This time, it's a tale of three speeches, a letter, a potentially explosive chinwag at checkers, and a bit of a bombshell. With me to take a plunge into the deep are Lisa O'Carroll, The Guardian's Brexit correspondent, and Dan Roberts, Brexit policy editor, whose somewhat damning profile of the UK's chief negotiator, David Davis, set a fair few tongues wagging this week, but more of that anon. Welcome both. In the absence of any actual decisions on Brexit, it seems we've got speeches. First, Boris Johnson supposedly reaching out to Remainers while simultaneously stressing the benefits of the kind of hard separation he wants. Not an easy balance to strike, and the consensus was probably he didn't manage it. Then we had Theresa May telling the Munich Security Conference that the UK would be leaving the EU's common foreign and security policy as early as next year, but wanted a new treaty during that transition period because we shouldn't wait where we don't have to. And finally, David Davis himself in Vienna, insisting that Brexit will not change the kind of country that Britain is, and promising the UK's future regulations would stay broadly aligned with EU rules. So three speeches, Dan. Let's start with you. You were in Vienna to hear the Davis speech, weren't you? Um, uh, coincidentally or not, I don't know, on the day that your, your not entirely flattering profile of him appeared. How did that go? Well, the speech um, was better than expected in that it was the first speech I've heard from the government for a while that has um, fessed up to just how limited its options were. And headline was that uh, he was telling everybody that Britain wouldn't be a Mad Max dystopia after Brexit. (laughs) Uh, The bar has sunk very low, if that (laughs) is the threshold for success. Um, And the speech uh, very much mirrored that. He was telling a business audience in Europe, that Brexit would not change the fundamental nature of Britain. Now, 
if that's the end result of a referendum that was meant to be revolutionary, I think they've got some explaining to do. And that's why I think we're seeing such pushback from uh, the Brexiteers in government, because people are saying, what is this all about? It's a pretty far cry from that sort of, uh, uh, you know, picture that they painted in the early days, at least of a, of a, of a bonfire of red tape, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this makes the uh, 350 million on the side of a bus look, look like a small little fib in comparison. Mm. I mean, w- we were told, the country was told, that Britain was suffocating in EU red tape and that the very first thing Brexit would do would be to cut British business free of that. Both of those turned out to be lies, given what we're now being told by the government. First of all, they're saying, actually, you know what, Britain helped draft a lot of that regulation <laughs> um, and we're quite proud of it. That Davis said exactly that. And secondly, that not only can we not live without it because it's very much the thing that gives us access to all of the markets that we need, but we don't want to not live without it because it's the thing that also makes Britain a civilised place to be. This is the regulation that protects our food standards and our children's toys and all these other things. And so we're not going to be in a race to the bottom. We're going to be in a race to the top. We're going to keep all this stuff and we're quite proud of it. If you'd put that in the mouths of a Remainer, it would have sounded Panglossian. But in the mouths of a Brexiteer, it sounds like a devastating lie we've been conned you know this is not what people thought the referendum was about hmm Okay. And did you confront the great man himself or did he confront Well, you? actually, one of my colleagues <laughs> on The Telegraph asked him about my profile of him, which was based, I mean, I must admit, I, I, to be clear, I tried not to interject myself into you, this. You, no, you were I simply relaying to, the views of a, of a, a dozen, lot of people who know him well. A dozen yeah. people who worked with him very closely over the last two or three years, um, mainly within government, some on the other side of the fence, but mostly these are these are sources um, uh, within Whitehall, within Number 10, within Dexu. And what I wanted to try and... Uh, put together was a piece that looked at how we got here and the sense of bluster that is now being called this was the reason david davis was appointed was that uh, somebody in number 10 explained to me he was the man um who would go out and continue to sell brexit to the country long after there was anything to sell that he was uh, ultimately <laughs> you know he could he had confidence in the bluster to take this through and what we're seeing i think all over the place um this week we're seeing signs that that has run out of road that, that the bluster approach to to brexit um uh, has caused enormous damage and i wanted to examine in that piece how mm. that's come about and i think so much of that is tied up wrapped up in the personality, the personality of david of davis who, himself who, yeah. who he is yeah. and the kind of politics he represents mm. Mm. interesting well i recommend for anybody who hasn't um please do read it. It's a it's a it's a great and very revealing um, portrait with with help from Jennifer in um, in Brussels. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, um, Lisa. I mean, we could say pretty much the same about Boris. I think, can't we? I mean, I may, I may, the speech that Theresa May gave feels a little bit different um, in that it's very clear that both sides see their mutual interest in a a separate deal on defence and security. It's just too important an area to kind of risk mixing up with with Brexit. I mean, there is relatively tricky stuff to sort out still on the jurisdiction of the European Court and all that kind of thing, but it's kind of a feels separate. But Boris, now, did did we learn anything from Boris's speech, do you think? I mean, it was pretty short on detail, wasn't it? There were a couple of jokes and, a, and, a, and some stuff about Brits being able to kind of retire to Spain and head off on cheapo flights to stag do's and stuff. But it was, I mean, that was pretty much, the, the in general, the, the, precisely the kind of bluster that, that Dan's just been talking about, no? Exactly. Um, and I think he, you um, would be hard-pressed to remember anything from his speech. It was so light. It was a bit like his speech at the Tory party conference. 
in October, which was incredibly witty. He, you know, forces the listener or the, the reader to mm. turn to the dictionary usually. But his best line was this, you know, it's not good enough to say to Remainers, you lost, get over it. It was a kind of a speech that would have been fantastic in the summer of 2016. It was, you know... A campaign too, speech, rather. Yeah, yeah, it was way, yeah. way too late. Well, you know, after they'd won, it mm. was, you know, to, to, to hug your enemy mm. um, was the message. But it's, 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 it's kind of an, an irrelevance now. And I think... You touched on uh, Theresa May's speech. I was up at the um, National Farmers Union conference yesterday where Michael Gove spoke. Mm. And a few of us were discussing, you know, something that had been said some months ago that, in fact, Britain had actually squandered its strongest card in the negotiations, which which was defence. Yes, it's tricky. And to um, wrap that up in a Brexit negotiation, but it's a strong card. She could have said, actually, we are not going to cooperate, we're going to go on our own. You know, Europe needs Britain. Absolutely. Um, and Britain needs Europe, but, you know, there's a much there's, there's a much greater um, um, equality mm. in, in that negotiation and it's something that isn't on the table. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things that could have been done. Future historians will look with wonder, I think, at the way uh, this whole process has been handled and what the way things could have been, could have been done very differently. Um, OK, m- moving on. Dan, can you tell us a little bit about the European Research Group, which have sort of hit the headlines a little bit this week? Um, they sent the Prime Minister a letter laying out a few demands for their vision of Brexit. They want, for example, full regulatory autonomy after Britain leaves. They want no transition period without a fully negotiated final deal. All this kind of stuff, all kind of quite hardline stuff. Um, now, how significant? How significant is the, that group first, and how significant is that letter? Bre- the moderates, Brexit moderates, have been up in arms, calling it a, a, a ransom letter and everything else. But at the very least, it has to put some pressure on the Prime Minister ahead of this potentially explosive checkers meeting later this week does it not where the cabinet's supposed to sort of finally thrash out what it what it actually wants from brexit in the in the end state yes i mean i would describe that letter as a shot across the bows ahead of the checkers meeting rather than a shot below the waterline um it is entirely expected that the hardline brexiteers um on the back benches which is what most of the signatories Mm. of that letter are would be anxious at the moment and would be wanting to make sure that this backpedalling we're seeing from Davis and others um, does not result in Brexit in name only, which is what they really fear. But the thing they fear even more than that is no Brexit. Um, And another thing they also fear is Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister. And those two things, I think, are putting a significant check on their room for manoeuvre at the moment. They can uh, howl with rage and they can write these letters. But if you look very carefully at their demands, they're actually more evidence of this softening of ambition that we're seeing at the moment. Many of their demands are not that million miles away from what the government is attempting to do. For example, on regulation, they have a a line at the right at the top of the letter that says Britain must preserve the right to change the rules after Brexit. Well, well they're not demanding they're not saying actual we are going to yeah. change the rules after Brexit. There is they aren't saying there must be a bonfire of regulation. Actually they're not saying that much dissimilar to David Davis which is that immediately after Brexit not much will change at all. But we'd like the option of maybe one day mm. further Being down the line to, we might want to. Uh, if that's coming from the likes of Jacob Rees-Mogg and people outside the government you can imagine the sort of realism that's beginning to dawn on the people mm. in inside government that are actually having to negotiate this stuff. So I think actually the real 
uh, they don't have any choices. They have to go along. They have to keep propping up this government because the alternatives are far, far worse for them. So I think the real pressure and the real movement and the place to watch over the next few weeks is going to be on the on the, the left of the party, the soft... Um, um, the sort um, of Ken Clark, uh, Anna Subri exactly. wing. Yeah. And they have already got one scalp under their belt, which is before Christmas, Dominic Grieve led this rebellion, which forced a, a meaningful vote on mm. the terms of withdrawal. They have another opportunity to do that in a couple of weeks' time when there's a Ken Clark amendment coming up on um, having a customs union after Brexit, which if Labour join them, and there are very strong signs overnight that uh, Corbyn is ready to do that, they have the opportunity to give the government a really big bloody nose on on, mm. on, on something that makes this debate over regulation look like a fairly small thing. Because if there is a customs union after Brexit, that means no independent trade policy. That means no Liam Fox, no Department of International Trade. And yet another another major plank for all this why we're having Brexit is, is is removed. So that's something I think that the government really will have to worry about. And if that shot gets fired, that is below the waterline. The whole thing, ship starts to sink. holes the project. Yeah. Holes the whole project. Okay. Um, Lisa, your speciality a bit now, if you don't mind me saying so, this uh, Ireland, uh, the question of the Irish border, um, it's, I mean, it's beginning, we've been predicting this, obviously, for a very long time, but it really does seem to be coming back to bite everybody now quite painfully. Um, not only has the Irish government warned just how much the country stands to lose economically from a hard Brexit, but it seems the difficulty of this difficulty that we've been talking about of putting into sort of legally acceptable wording the the deliberately vague terms of the agreement that was reached on this question at, at the end of last year is starting to become very apparent. Can you fill us in on where we are on that? Yeah, it feels a bit like Groundhog Day, doesn't it? Um, it's only last Monday week, so 10 days ago, that Leo Varadkar and Theresa May went to Belfast on the uh, strong understanding that a deal was about to be done in Stormont, the mm. Regional Assembly there would be um, restored. And that didn't happen. The DUP pulled the plug that or announced that the, that, um, the talks had collapsed on Thursday and we seem to be right back to square one. And the DUP seemed to be, um, and you can see why they're doing it, milking this window they have uh, where they are in power in Westminster. They know that, that uh, that's an infinite power that they have. And talking to people around this issue about the border, which we know this stated intent to be out of the customs union, out of the single market and the notion of an invisible border in mm. Ireland is irreconcilable. But people think that what what might happen is that, you know, again, it's about facing the Brexiteers down, it's about facing the DUP down. There is nothing, as Dan said, the Brexiteers fear more um, is uh, than a Labour, Labour Party government. Mm. Um, and for the DUP, not, nothing more than Jeremy Corbyn, who was, they think, a sympathiser to, well, to the Republican cause back in the 70s and the 80s. So that's a play. So the question will be is whether Theresa May will have the guts to do a deal that will inflame the situation in Northern Ireland and possibly just face down the DUP. I mean, I can't see how they're going to resolve this Mm. unless you go back to this notion of a border in the Irish Sea, which the DUP won't support, or there's a special deal for Northern Ireland, or a third option could be a special deal for Ireland, which will make... Mm. have regulatory equivalents on, on the island of Ireland and you can't see the EU doing that. There are zealots yeah, on there's, every there's, there's side. Exactly. There's basically no way of keeping all those various constituents happy. Yeah. yeah, but somebody's got to come up with a solution as you know, the t- time is ticking mm. and as somebody, I was speaking to a very good source this week who sa- who suggested that, um, you know, it's time to mm. um, be thinking outside the box, who pays in? Does, mm. does Ireland get compensated for this? 
it, does Britain have to pay in for this? You know, there has got to be some imaginative thinking around this. And it, we can't keep going back to this question of um, irreconcilability of paragraph 49 and paragraph mm. 50 in the joint report in December, hmm. which is about Ireland. OK, well, we mentioned Labour there briefly. We've both mentioned Labour and possibility of a Corbyn, of a Corbyn government and that being kind of the, 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 the ultimate bogeyman for so many people in this in this debate. Labour's position does appear to be shifting, doesn't it? I think. Let, let's start with this question of the customs union, Dan. It, I mean, it, does it look to you like Labour's finally coming off the fence, going to become the party of remaining in a, a or stroke the customs union? Yes, they haven't quite got there yet, but uh, Corbyn was speaking fairly positively about it um, yesterday. Diana seems to mm. be again today. And the logic is quite compelling for the simple reason that, and I, they haven't spelt it out this way, this is my interpretation, but the downside of remaining in a customs union, as we've discussed many times on this programme, is the inability to have an independent trade policy and strike lots of free trade deals mm. around the world, particularly with America. Now, if there is one thing a Corbyn government would, would not be about, it's striking free trade deals with the Trump administration. <laughs> These are not high up their list of priorities. <laughs> they have a huge suspicion about the notion of free trade generally, let alone some of the modern types of free trade deals which shift a lot of power towards corporations and, and, and markets mm. and away from, from people. They want to do quite the opposite. They want to protect British industry, um, quite possibly in ways that would inf- that would cut across trade deals, certainly EU state aid rules. And so I don't think they have much to lose by adopting a customs union. The only thing they are, I think, playing a long game with is that they know that being ambiguous around Brexit has served them quite well mm-hmm. so far, mm-hmm. much to the infuriation of many Guardian readers. <laughs> they have not put their... Um, nailed their colours to the mast on Brexit for the simple tactical reason that they're happy to let the Tories stew on this. And I think you will see them um, go um, uh, fully embrace a customs union uh, at the last possible moment, but the moment they can inflict maximum tactical damage. I think there's also an interesting um, presentation issue, isn't there, that um, bizarrely, and we think this is quite normal now, we wait for Tory pronouncements in in the vehicle of a Theresa May major speech, Mm. Lancaster House, Florence, and another one coming up um, and with Labour the, the, it's the opposite things have just been trickling out like Rebecca Long Bailey the business um, sh- uh, shadow spokesman was on the day programme about two weeks ago and she mentioned this in a very sort of gentle interview with Michelle Hussein and I kind of thought is this a Labour announcement we don't know she just said <laughs> we want to be in the customs union um, you know you know, the, the Labour Party it's aren't not, then, yes. well, there's she not said one Labour Party in, in just the same way there is, as there is no longer one Conservative Party there is no longer one Labour Party and certainly no longer one Labour Party position on Brexit but the key thing to remember with the customs union that is different from the single market on, on uh, for Labour is the single market debate involves some really difficult conversations about immigration and for a lot of Labour voters particularly in Brexit parts of the country mm. the issue of taking back control of it immigration is is still a a, a totally um, live wire. And Mm. so debates about staying in the single market are toxic for Labour. Debates about the customs union, not so much. much. That's a very interesting point. Yeah. And and on immigration, um, Lisa, just briefly, Labour seems to be shifting there as well. Um, Diane Abbott um, has has just in in the last few minutes um, said that under a Labour government, there would be no difference between the treatment of 
of EU citizens arriving during the transition period and those who were already there. Um, is that a significant move? And where are we generally on the on, on the kind of EU citizens? It is only significant in that, Theresa May, the, the EU want and have demand, have made, made this plain all along mm. that, that EU citizens should have the same rights through the transition period or proposed transition period. And Theresa May about two weeks ago said, um, out of the blue, that um, uh, immigrants from the EU after the 29th of March would not have the right to settle, which led to a very angry um, press conference last week. Uh, was it last week? It's hard to, to tell. <laughs> um, when, when Barnier warned that this is one of the red lines for the EU. And I think what's interesting is um, we've got to remember there is a, a time, a, a clock, we're now into hundreds of days to the 29th of March. Mm. Um, Britain has to come up with a dra- draft text for the withdrawal agreement. Um, this week, uh, there is a, um, a key meeting of the permanent representatives of all EU 27 on the 28th. That's next week. Hmm. Um, we're running into the council when well, on the 22nd and the 23rd of March when everything has to be tied up. So you've got to have the withdrawal agreement first um, and uh, the, the sequence then is the transition agreement. Um, so um, it puzzles me as to why Theresa May raised this issue about EU citizens. It wasn't as if it was um, if if it was um, on the agenda, mm. um, and I don't think she she would have been heavily criticised if 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 she you, hadn't, if, yeah. yeah, if she yeah. hadn't, I don't yeah. think people would have yeah. spotted it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Finally, then the transition question of the transition period, and we actually had literally just as we were about to come into the studio and record this episode, a bit of breaking news, no less. The Brexit Department has published a ministerial statement on its stance as regards the transition period. And it it is a bit of a drop bombshell, I think, um, because it states that rather than ending on the 31st of December 2020, as the EU had stipulated, the British government would like the transition or implementation period, depending on where you stand, to last for as long as is necessary to implement the new processes and symptoms that will be required by Brexit. Dan, that's even that's even more of a red rag to a bull for the Brexiters, isn't it? I mean, pretty much they're sort of worse. I mean, leaving Britain in limbo effectively inside the EU Permanent for an vassal indefinite state, Indefinite yes. vassal state <laughs> status. Yeah, you, you couldn't make it up. I, I, I have to say that we should all just take a moment to go, we told you so, because this is yet another thing that regular listeners of this podcast will be acutely aware of, which is that the notion that Britain could not only negotiate a hugely complicated free and ambitious free trade deal, but implement it all within the space of about three minutes um, was always for the birds. And I think this is a welcome outbreak of um, common sense um, from the government, that there's no point arguing about whether the end of the transition should be December or March. The point is it take, should take as long as it takes. Having said all of that, I think this is another sign that things are close to breaking point. I'm a very firm believer that when you, as a, of the 25 years in journalism, when I've seen situations that you, you feel just cannot go on, they often don't go on, <laughs> that eventually things start to move. And I think we are in that kind of, it's a bit like sort of seismic activity. You can see sort of, you know, tectonic plates grinding gradually but eventually they move something very fast will, there's an earthquake something or, will give or yeah. you know the smoke comes out of the mm. side of the volcano before the thing mm. blows and I see, if, you, if you add up everything we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes if you look at the concessions that the government is making you know no slight no burning of the red tape endless spell in purgatory a sense really that that, that brexit in name only is the very best they can hope for now mm. not the worst that they can hope for and um, these are all signs that the wheels are coming off the bus you know and, and i think we we will see this 
process of bad news speeding up. We're gonna, these are going to come thick and fast mm. as, 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 as the reality hits. And, um, you know, we're in for an interesting few weeks. Okay, well, that is about it for this week. My thanks to Dan and Lisa for joining me. If you have any questions, do please email us at brexitpodcast at theguardian.com. That's all one word, brexitpodcast at theguardian.com. Please subscribe and review on all your favourite podcatchers. Join the discussion on Twitter. You just need to search for Guardian Podcasts. Till next week, then. I'm John Henley. The producer was Rowan Slaney. This was Brexit Means. And thank you very much for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.